With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As a math teacher, Matthew inspired the love of learning a subject that's not a favorite to many. Many students at the Polyvalenti Montiac asked to be transferred to his class. As a peewee hockey coach, he offered his best techniques and advice to young players. After all, he was a top prospect for Major League Hockey and even received a full scholarship at Ferris State University in Michigan. He turned it down to be with the love of his life, Alexia. And with Alexia, Matthew became his most favorite title of all, father to his three-year-old son. When Matthew was in college, he met his best friend, Maxime. Nowadays, Maxime lived and worked in a city two hours away, but he and Matthew frequently visited one another. Both loved watching the Montreal Canadiens play hockey on TV or have some drinks at the local pub. In the summer of 2013, it was Maxime's turn to make the trek to Matthew's. They hung out with Alexia and their son in their home, and around 9.30 in the evening, they decided to go out to their favorite bar with two other friends. Alexia stayed home and wished the gang a good night. She knew they will stay out late, probably end up at a restaurant later for snacks. She didn't mind. Matthew deserved the time with his friends. At 2 o'clock in the morning, Alexia suddenly woke up and noticed that her clock was flashing red. Did they have a power failure? Slowly opening her eyes, she reached out for her phone and saw the time. She opened her messages and texted Matthew, Are you okay? A few minutes passed. No response. That was weird, Alexia thought. She texted again, Where are you? Still no response. Her heart skipped a beat. She gave it more time, but her anxiety is now shooting through the roof. She tried three more times, and then she tried giving him a call. Nothing. It turns out, she will never hear anything back from Matthew or his friends ever again. You're listening to Untimely, a podcast about events in earlier or recent history that resulted in untimely fatalities and damages in its wake. I am your host, Lynn. It is undeniable how trains and railroads have positively affected towns, cities, and industries. Most major towns started out as a train stop along the way of progress. The same can be said with the city of Lac-Megantic, a suburb of Quebec in Canada. In our episode today, we'll learn how the railroad industry built and unfortunately destroyed this quiet town that will never be the same again. The town of Megantic was named after the Abenaki word meaning a place where the fish are held. Considered as a suburb of the city of Quebec in Canada, the town was officially founded in 1884 
when the Canadian Pacific Railway built the last phase of the transcontinental railroad system that connected Montreal to the port nearest the Atlantic Ocean. The land was occupied thousands of years ago as it is known to be the oldest site of human occupation in Quebec. In 1646, a Catholic missionary arrived to convert the Abernaki, and in 1850, French-Canadian and Scottish settlers developed the town further. Megantic is located south of Quebec City, east of Montreal, and 22 miles away from the U.S. border state of Maine. In 1958, Megantic was renamed as Lac Megantic after Lake Megantic, which lines the southern part of the town. The railroad system brought industry and a large economy to the town and has undoubtedly linked its people to the rest of the world. Downtown Lac Megantic is bustling with restaurants, bars, and a scenic lake view. Government, residential, and commercial buildings make up the cityscape along with the library archive and revered Catholic churches. The city is also a major pathway for the railroad where the Canadian Pacific Railway system passes through regularly. In October 2002, the Montreal, Maine, and Atlantic Railway, or MMA, was formed from assets acquired from a bankrupt railroad company. The company headquarters was based in Herman, Maine. The freight railroad company operated on the eastern side of both the United States and Canada, specifically in Maine, Vermont, and Quebec. It is known as the Class II Railroad, which was determined by an operating revenue of $37.4 million, but less than $433.2 million for at least three years of operation. The railroad is about 510 miles or 820 kilometers long from Montreal to Searsport, Maine by the Atlantic Ocean and serviced other small-scale railroads along the way. In its initial operation, the railway dispatched at least 25 trains a day covering the entirety of its route. Between 2003 to 2010, the company experienced substantial downsizing due to the closure and bankruptcy of its major clients, including the Great Northern Paper Mill in Maine and steady decline of the lumber industry. With the high cost of running a freight business, the company lost a lot of money in operations. In response, the company reduced its employees from the original 350 strong down to 175 people. MMA also sold around 233 miles or 375 kilometers of railways to the U.S. government. Sadly, this cost-cutting decision did not help with maintaining the business, so the railroad company continued to lose money by the millions. One of the cost-cutting decisions implemented by the company is to reduce the number of train crew members in one shift from two engineers to one. To augment the loss of one crew member, a remote-controlled locomotive, which uses a radio transmitter to operate a freight train, was used in all dispatch trains. These remote-controlled trains are supposedly fail-safe and will stop automatically if communication is not found between the two transmitters. Obviously, rail engineers felt the other way, but the company pushed through and all trains became a one-person show. In 2012, MMA ventured into hauling volatile crude oil to gain profit. Environmental groups expressed concern about this venture since there were many towns and bodies of water along the railway route that can negatively be affected by the load. Despite the concerns, the enterprise was approved by the Canadian Conservative government. The decision to haul crude oil positively affected MMA's bottom line as a company 
and was able to recall some of its railway workers and purchase new locomotives. At that time, MMA Chief Executive Robert Grindrod, speaking about the environmental concerns, was quoted to have stated, The statistics tell you how much has been transported, but to the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been any spilled or released. One of the engineers employed by MMA was Thomas Harding. Tom, a second-generation railroad engineer, worked for the Canadian Pacific Railway for many years and then with MMA. Throughout his career, he has mentored many engineers and conductors. Tom was known as Joe Lopperdant, or Joe Careful, by his peers because of his strong disposition for safety. In 2013, Thomas' route included driving the load carried by MMA-2. MMA-2 is a freight train that's about 4,701 feet or 1,433 miles long and weighed about 10,287 metric tons that usually starts its journey from Newtown, North Dakota and ends at St. John, New Brunswick. MMA-2 had five locomotives including one remote control car, a buffer box car, and 72 tank cars loaded with 7.7 million liters of crude petroleum oil. Along the way, MMA-2 will stop and change crew members until it reaches its last stop. On July 5, 2013, MMA-2 changed crews at Farnham, Quebec, and this was when Tom Harding took charge of the freight train. His shift will end in Nantes, Quebec. While en route, Harding notices that there is an excessive amount of black and white smoke coming from the smokestack of the lead locomotive. Droplets of oil were sputtering out the stack as well. He made a mental note to notify headquarters about this issue. At around 11 o'clock in the evening, MMA-2 arrived at Nantes. Harding parked the train on the descending grade on the main track. This was standard practice in the Nantes station. Once parked, Harding shut down all locomotive engines except for the lead, which he kept running. Harding left the engine on to maintain pressure in the air brakes. He then also applied handbrakes on all of the engines and two other cars. Then he performed a brake test, all within protocol that the company requires. In total, MMA2 had both air brakes and handbrakes applied. Once Harding felt that the train is secured, he radioed to the dispatch in Farnham to inform them of the status, then he called the rail traffic controller in Bangor, Maine to notify them of what was happening to the lead locomotive. Both Harding and the rail traffic controller from Bangor agreed that the smoke will eventually settle since it will be left idling throughout the night, and that Harding will look into it first thing in the morning when his replacement arrives to continue the journey east. He didn't feel right leaving the train running for the night, but he doesn't believe that he was given any choice. So he hailed a cab and checked in at his hotel located in the town of Lac Megantic, downhill from when he parked the train. Meanwhile, in the downtown area of Lac Megantic, the Musi Cafe was busy. Yannick Gagné, the owner of this bar, was going around his place saying hello to his regular customers. Yannick worked almost non-stop to remodel the cafe and bar for many years. It was his life's work. He knew that it would be a busy night for the bar as the warmth of the summer night brings out customers. There were about 80 people inside and about 40 in the terrace, and a few groups were celebrating birthdays. The bar was also filled with its regulars, including Eric, Matthew, along with their friends Maxime and David. 
Since it was busy, Yanni convinced his wife, who was pregnant at that time, to help out at the bar. He knew almost everyone in there since Lac Megantic is a close-knit community and the music cafe is the place to go. He even knew the band members for many years. Yannick promised himself that as soon as the waitresses got things under control, he will leave for the night. He told his wife the same thing as well. Up the hill, firefighters responded to several emergency calls in Nantes. Apparently, the lead locomotive of MMA2 sparked and caught fire. The fire department called in a track foreman employed by the railroad company to assist and was able to shut off the engine of the lead locomotive, then turned off the electrical breakers inside. Once the fire was quenched, the track foreman contacted the rail traffic controller in Farnham to let them know of the status of the train and then promptly left. Tom Harding was alerted about this situation as well. Once the fire was under control, he went back to sleep. This will be the last time that he will sleep undisturbed. As the smoke from the lead locomotive died down and the engine was at a complete stop, the pressure feeding the air brakes was slowly depleting. Eventually, the air brakes stopped working. The handbrakes from the seven cars were left to hold the train in place. But with thousands of metric tons in an almost two-mile-long train, one by one, the handbrake on each car started to fail. The train began to move on its own down the incline of the main track. This main track was heading for Lac Megantic. By 12.30 in the evening, Yannick Gagné left the music cafe, picked up their kids, then headed home. After he left, the band finished the first half of their set at around 1.10 in the morning and decided to take a half-hour break. Some of the audience took this time to go out to the terrace for a smoke, go to the restroom, or settle their tabs and get ready to leave. The rest stayed where they were to wait for the band's next set. Suddenly, a low rumbling can be heard from a distance. The table started to shake and the entire bar went pitch black. As the rumbling sound became louder and louder and louder, now, with a high-pitched ringing that sounds like screaming, an orange-colored light radiated the bar from the outside. The light was getting brighter and brighter by the second. Thinking it was an earthquake, some patrons of the bar started to leave through the terrace or the front door. Others were confused, wondering what was happening. Then the ground started to vibrate violently, and bottles at the bar started falling over. This noise and loud sound was from the MMA2 bolting down the track, zigzagging its way downhill, pushed forward by gravity and the heavy weight of oil and steel. By now the train is careening at a full speed of 65 miles per hour or 105 kilometers with absolutely nothing stopping it. The speed of the train was causing everything around it to shake, whipping every tree or branch in its path. As MMA2 closes its way to the city center, a slight curve in the tracks will make things much, much worse. Several residents of the surrounding buildings near the music cafe were woken up by the sound of the railway crossing lights and bells ringing. As they looked outside, their eyes were met with a freight train speeding its way towards them, towards their building. They all had to run. 
As the lead locomotive shot past the curve, the other engines followed suit. Unfortunately, the rest did not. By the time the last engine made the turn, the rest of the train derailed off the tracks and crashed on its side, taking with it several buildings, cars, and anything that stood in its way. As the crude oil spilled outside the cars, it caught the sparks of metal on tracks. It was then, at that moment, when the entire town of Lac-Megantic will never be the same again. At precisely 1.14 in the morning, a mushroom cloud of fire, smoke, and oil exploded. The rest of the train continued to derail at an unrelenting pace and added fuel to the fire. Many of the train cars that was carrying the 7 million liters of crude oil collided violently with the downtown buildings, including the Music Café, with many of its patrons still inside. Others who were lucky enough to escape the buildings had to outrun the blast and debris flying through the air, littering the streets of downtown Lac-Megantic. Some were not so lucky. People who were just sleeping on their beds, jumping from the third floor window down the ground. The town of Lac-Megantic looked like a war zone. As the fire continued to blaze, the crude oil began to coat the streets at an alarming pace. Oil started to enter the sewers, seep through the manholes, splatter onto chimneys, and flood the basements. Fire is dangerously following the spreading crude oil. Over 150 firefighters were called in to help slow down the blaze. Engine companies from Quebec, its neighboring towns, and the surrounding cities in the border state of Maine rushed to the center of the explosion. Over 2,000 residents of Lac-Megantic were evacuated away from the fire and possible sparks from the oil spill. Even with the quick actions of the emergency crews and firefighters, many lives were lost. In the end, the death toll was 47. Among them was 29-year-old Matthew Pelletier, who was at the music cafe with three of his friends, Maxim, Eric, and David. The oldest victim was a 93-year-old whose house was right across the tracks, while the youngest was a four-year-old girl. Five of the bodies were never recovered but presumed dead. Tom Harding, the engineer, heard the blast from his hotel. About an hour later, he received a call from MMA dispatch that made his entire body go cold. He was informed that the cause of the fire and explosion was his train the train that he left on its own for the night. He raced out of his hotel toward the epicenter of the blast. Most of the fire was finally settled by the afternoon of the next day, but there were at least five large pools of burning oil that still needed to be quenched. All of it died down after two full days from the explosion. The areas around the epicenter of the blast were restricted to authorities only and declared a red zone, unsafe for the public. Aside from the music cafe, at least 30 other buildings were utterly ruined and flattened to the ground. This included a library archive with many of the town's unique memorabilia. Residents and businesses inside the red zone were displaced in the nearby cities and shelters until the disaster area was cleaned up and the investigation was completed. In the days that followed, the residents of the red zone were allowed to go back slowly. 
about 20 people did not have any homes to return to. News of this disaster spread far and wide, with many offering their assistance, prayers, and services for the people of Lac-Megantic. So much support from all over came to the support of the town, with funds raised over $6,000 in just a few days. MMA rerouted all trains that usually traveled through Lac-Megantic following the derailment. Months later, MMA laid off more of its workers in both Canada and the U.S., citing the derailment at Lac-Megantic as a direct cause, and many were not paid any severance. The Transportation Safety Board of Canada started their investigation of the derailment and found 18 different causes for the disaster. Several of the causes of the accident were mostly rooted in the cost-cutting measures set by the MMA. One of the worst was the shoddy repair done on the lead locomotive about eight months before. An epoxy-type material was used to patch the engine and was not strong enough or durable enough to maintain the repair. The residue of the material caused oil from the engine to accumulate, which caught fire on the night of the accident. A criminal investigation was initiated by the Provincial Police of Quebec. On May 12, 2014, three MMA employees were charged with 47 counts of criminal negligence. With the charge came the arrests of engineer Thomas Harding, manager of train operations Jean Dimitri, and rail traffic controller Richard Labrie. A little over a year later, New charges under the Canadian Railway Safety Act and the Fisheries Act that states failing to ensure the train was properly braked before it was left unmanned for the night were added to the case. Apparently, according to MMA guidelines, handbrakes should be applied to nine cars when a train is parked on an incline. In this case, only seven were found to be compliant. A lengthy trial ensued with as many as 36 witnesses presented to the Crown. The defense cited the lack of safety measures followed by the company because of its cost-cutting measures. On January 2018, after nine days of deliberations, a jury cleared the three employees of all charges. As you can imagine, several individual litigations resulted in this accident as well, from survivors, those who lost their loved ones, to municipalities and companies placing civil blame at someone or something with what happened. Some of the individual plaintiffs were awarded the maximum compensation of $326,000 for non-monetary damages. This goes the same for Thomas Harding. He was placed on medical leave since the accident and was slated to go back to work in July 2018, where, once he was back, was terminated by the company. Backed by a strong union, a ruling against the company for the wrongful termination was found by the Crown, but up to now in 2019, the case is currently still in dispute. Besides the multiple lives lost, what makes this accident far worse is the environmental impact of the crude oil spill. About 31 hectares of land was contaminated. It has caused toxic and dramatic changes to aquatic and ground life. The oil contaminated the waterways, sediment, and soil of the town and others around it, and at one point, residents had to boil their water to make sure it is drinkable and usable. In 2014, abnormalities in some of the species of fish living in the river and the lake near the spill were found, 
but the total impact will not be seen until 2022. This spill traveled at least 80 kilometers or 50 miles northeast of the epicenter and its cleanup costing over an estimated $95 million. In response to this disaster, various regulations were put in place by both U.S. and Canadian state, municipal, and federal governments and passed to ensure that an accident of this nature is prevented at all costs. Regulations include the following. Having at least two crew members on a freight train route when volatile or hazardous materials are carried. Physical barriers put on railways to prevent runaway trains. Railroad companies must plan strategic routes which avoids populated areas when carrying hazardous materials. All freight trains must never be left unmanned at any point in time. And that the Transport Safety Board of Canada must have a more hands-on approach in auditing the safety precautions of all railways. We are now in 2019, and many of the litigations from this disaster are still ongoing. But despite of all this, the town of Lac-Megantic began picking up the pieces immediately and started to rebuild, which continues to this day. This town may have lost loved ones, but have never once lost hope. Matthew Pelletier's jersey was retired at his former AAA hockey team in Lennoxville in a moving ceremony attended by his family, including his wife and son. Months after the incident, Yannick Gagné launched a popular six-week series of musical acts under a temporary shelter that offered a place for the community to meet and heal together. Nowadays, a bigger, better, and state-of-the-art music cafe is up and running near its original spot, with Yannick still at its helm. Inside the new place is a granite plaque with an angel rising above the skies to represent those who died. Many of the townspeople signed this memorial, including Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. In May 2018, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau committed to build a route bypass for the railroad away from most of the town as a joint effort of Canada and Montreal. Trudeau addressed the city on July 6, 2018, and his closing statement was, To the people of Lac-Megantic, please know that you are in our thoughts. For five years, you have stood shoulder to shoulder and carried the immense weight of your loss. Today, we offer you our full support as you continue to rebuild your town, your community, and your future. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untimely. I'm curious to hear about your thoughts about this episode and what happened to the town of Lac-Megantic. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening from. I love reading reviews. If you have any questions or would like to suggest topics, reach out to us at untimelypodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at untimelypodcast. We'd love to hear from you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.